0: people in the organization having just frank conversations about where they're at or maybe an investor came on board or maybe someone on the board you know had this kind of conversation with them that you know needs are going to change and just having an open discussion about what might be needed of a leader in the future
1: hi i'm jason evangelist of white house and this is the creating high performance podcast we aim to be the most actionable leadership and management podcast you'll ever hear as we try to teach you hands-on tactics and approaches to be a better better leader and give you ways to know exactly what to do when you take your headphones off your earbuds out at the end of the show today i'm here with matthias meyer he's the founding partner and executive leadership coach at the intentional organization Uh, he's also working on an awesome book you're going to want to check out prior to that he founded several startups worked as a ceo and a cto uh building remote organizations for 10 years now uh he's a former engineer and has turned his main passion as as those things debugging away from code now towards organizations and the people in them uh, matthias thanks for joining us
0: jason it's a pleasure to be here thank you
1: awesome so today we're going to be talking about effectively removing yourself from the day-to-day work of your team i think it's one of those concepts that is easy for people to forget and then uh, creates a lot of downstream problems. Um, but first I I'd understand you've been a founder and an engineer for over a decade and now you're a coach. You've been through that transition a few times. So what have you found to be the hardest part about transitioning from say an engineer to a manager?
0: Yeah, it's pretty much exactly what you, what you mentioned previously. It's like the, 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 you know, this feeling of not being hands-on anymore, of not contributing code or you know contributing to technical discussions or architecture um not really like shipping anything in the classic sense of you know having something deployed and having an almost instant feedback and also satisfaction that a customer is using what you've created um and you know feeling beyond that because you're not hands-on or because i wasn't hands-on in that case it was it was a bit of a struggle to feel like you're still contributing something something meaningful, whatever, you know, the definition of meaningful is. We'll get to that throughout this discussion, I'm sure, Uh, but contributing something where you, you know, you, you feel like you, you have value in the organization, which can can be quite hard as a manager. And when you, you know, leave code aside and focusing more on, you know, growing people, supporting people, removing roadblocks and, you know, frankly, just being in a lot of meetings as well. And you know, get understanding in that in that transition that you know your your the meaningful thing that you that you contribute to the organization is really the collective output of your team, the department, and or the entire company. You know, if you're if you're right at the top, but I found that really really difficult.
1: Absolutely. And so, what happens if someone doesn't doesn't let go when they should?
0: It, usually can lead to a lot of frustrations and that can happen on both sides like you know a new a newly minted manager as well as their team their team might feel you know like they're they're not being trusted or like they can't you know express themselves do things their own way um and you know maybe they also feel like they they can't really fail or on the flip side they can't do anything wrong you know they can't fail because you know a hands-on manager type might always be there to jump in and say, well, I found this bug, you know, I know it's there. Could I could ask someone on my team to fix it.
1: So what's the frustration on the other side? So so the, the the manager will step in and then what happens?
0: Manager steps in and say, you know, say they fix a bug for you or say they, you know, the, the other side can be they, they yell at you for doing something wrong, uh, which is the other thing I was referring to. Um, and for for engineers in particular you know who can be opinionated about you know how certain things are done or you know what exactly they want to do um it just can feel stifling it can feel like you're you're you know even though you're contributing something there's always someone there who quote unquote knows better you know it's a very classic problem of you know especially new uh, you know, newly minted managers, again, or, you know, the this kind of startup founders I work with, is yeah. that the team feels, you know, there's always this looming shadow that's going to, you know, swoop down on them whenever, you know, there's a problem. And rather than talking about the problem, it's going to fix the problem, maybe even, you know, take credit for fixing the problem. And the team basically stands in the background as, you know, feeling, not feeling particularly great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That stifling feeling, I think is pretty common. And, and uh, I think it can be hard for a lot of leaders to kind of have, have that trust. Um, You know, it's not just that like, hey, they really like doing this thing. I think it's also like trusting, no, my team can do a better job than I can at this point.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, like, you know, especially when you're new or when you're, say you're the the engineer or founder who's built the thing, you know, that the team is now tasked with you know, carrying forward, you feel like, you know, this, uh, you have the, the most understanding, you have the most yep. history, or you just, you just know, you know, everything, you know, how things work, you know, how things are supposed to work. You have opinions yeah. on how things are supposed to work and you impose those on the team. Um, whereas that can really not just hold back the team, not frustrate the team, but it can actually hold back the product because yeah. You know your you might your your technical horizon might have you know it might not be as broad or as you know as as yeah as broad as that of your team you know the the team that you hired and you might actually hold them back by you know clinging to certain ways of doing things but you know even insisting that there's you know things are fine the way they are um you can you can hold back the product and actually put risk on the business so there, there are multiple yeah. angles to this where, you know, this can lead not just to frustrations, but also where it can be a risk. And, that, you know, it all depends a little bit on where you are in an organization. Probably yeah. it doesn't matter as much if you, you know, you're an engineer turned manager. But if you're an engineer turned, you know, if you're an engineer turned founder slash CTO, for example, and you're responsible yeah. for an organization of 10, 20, 30, 50 people, that can really, that can cause harm beyond just the people on your team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. Um, you know, I think there's a particular archetype I've seen, uh, having worked in tech for many years, where you have that what we'll call the heroic CTO, who you know built the first version of the product, helped the company get to product market fit, was you know instrumental in doing a lot of these things, has actually a lot of credibility and respect from the team because of their prowess. But at some point, that flips and becomes uh, a hindrance, not a help. Yeah. So, so knowing that this happens very commonly, I imagine a lot of people listen to this and nodding along it because they've been that person uh, or they've experienced that person. What do you find is that light bulb moment where somebody realizes like, Oh no, (laughs) I need to change. Hmm.
0: I think the, the, the part that is, well, that is one that's several coaching uh, coaching conversations I'm having, or I used or I had have started out with is feedback and you know like some you know a company an organization did like a 360 round for example on you know everyone and including Mm -hmm. the founders or you know one of the co-founders received feedback on you know another co-founder um which you know probably wasn't good uh and might have included you know all of the problems that we already talked about um that could be i mean the, the clearest trigger um where you know it's also it can be very productive to start a coaching relationship that way because you immediately have a roadmap where you know these are things i need to work on you know and uh it's quite well um the others are just being being observant and cognizant of like when an organization is growing that's like the other kind of you know the other situation where people say come to me Uh, And we start working together is when you know an organization to say is about to raise money They're about to double their team in the next uh, in the next six to twelve months and you know Leaders founders managers are you know have an honest assessment either, you know with their peers or with themselves Mm -hmm. that you know they This is going to pose new challenges say, you know, they introduce a management layer It's also a very classic startup problem where you know, you, you go move from a team from seven, which you could manage yourself as the founding CTO. And you suddenly, you're going to move to an organization of 20 that you just can't manage on your own anymore. I mean, you can, but then not well, you can't give people the attention that, you know, they, they deserve and that they might need. Um, um, so this, like a growth bird kind of situation. Um, and the, the other, the third one uh, for me is, or that I've seen Mm -hmm. is that, you know, just. People in the organization having just frank conversations about where they're at, or maybe an investor came aboard, or maybe someone on the board, you know, had this kind of conversation with them um, that, you know, needs are going to change. Um, and just having a, an open discussion about what might be needed of a leader in the future and future, you know, we're usually talking about a six to 12 month horizon, right. nothing beyond that, because if you raise money now, you might be raising it in a 12 month. Uh, maybe 18, but these days it's rather 12. Um Seems and, that way, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so you're, you know, you're probably working towards doubling that team again, and so the needs change quite rapidly.
1: Absolutely. Um, are there any warning signs that that you look out for that are things that people might perceive that if they haven't done a 360 and they think their team might be on the edge of this kind of uh, transition moment? Are there are there things that maybe you could call like uh, creeks in the battleship or you know small leaks the boats taking on uh, that they should look out for
0: hmm oh there's there's probably an abundance of these uh, yeah. which makes it quite hard to distill them down but um, I, the, the things that I found for include for example uh, a team that's Say, you know, say a decision-making process or say, maybe, you know, a team making decisions where, you know, people on the team are not really participating, you know, like, uh, on, on a, from a different perspective, you could say they're not engaged, which yep. is a, a term that's very commonly thrown around. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when say when leaders frustrated that, you know, they're looking for feedback on something, uh, or they're looking for the team's input, but they're not really getting any input. Mm -hmm. Um, which I mean can be a frustrating experience but you know it can can point to different things either there's a there can be a trust issue there can be an issue with you know not asking the right questions when it comes to feedback Um, and so we you know each of these individual problems can move into different directions and what we then work on Um, but you know those they're probably two signals uh, two of the many signals that I would look out for
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Those are good. Um, so what do you think? So somebody, somebody goes and realizes that, Oh, this is me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I need to do this. Um, what do you think are some of the most important shifts for the uh, leader to do first when they're ready to embrace this change? And frankly, probably let go of what's a very tight grip, um, or just a, this is the way I've always done it. Of course we do it this way still.
0: Yeah. I think the the uh, we'll, well, you know, this being you know a lot about engineering, we will started at, z- at zero, yeah. Uh, in this list, and I think the first, well, the first step is really to acknowledge that you're part of the problem. That mm-hmm. maybe even you are the problem. That that you know that you're actively contributing to this team being feeling like they're they're being held back, mm-hmm. or to their frustrations, and mm-hmm. by consequence then that you need to change something, that you need to yeah. work on something. I mean, yeah. you know, this, it is a helpful first step rather than, you know, it's like, you're, you're fighting the idea that you're part of the problem, then yeah. it's not going to be, you know, a, a, a productive conversation. And, right. you know, to be clear, I think it can just be okay to figure out, you know, say you're a CTO or manager to, to then say this management part really isn't for me. I'm going to, you know, pick a different direction on what I want to do. Like there's, say you're a CTO, there's an abundance of different roles that you can take in the organization uh, to still provide value, to find a a balance between providing value to the company and also doing what you like doing. You know, there's nobody forcing anybody to say, you know, remain on as a CTO uh, or, you know, to have a CTO be a manager, just as one example. Um and so we started at acknowledging that you're part of the problem uh the the second step that i would you know that i tend to navigate people to is setting clear expectations with people uh because you know many of these conversations start with you know i'm frustrated that my team isn't doing x where x can be i uh, you know as we said they're not participating in discussions or x can be um you know they're they're just they're working towards a different outcome than I thought we'd agree on, or you know that they're also a common thing that I hear is that they're not getting it, quote unquote. You know they're not getting it the way I'm getting it, which you know is means we're already stuck in a loop because if you haven't set clear expectations, of course they're not getting it. If you haven't you know expressed what's what's going on in your head, which is one of the bigger challenges or. It, used to be a challenge for me uh and it is a very common challenge that i see in you know new managers or people i think it's a people thing also to express you know what you would like someone else to do and why uh and then you know the extra challenges uh which is why people tend to refrain from being clear about what they expect is that they feel like they're telling other people what to do or how to do it You know, and that's really not what setting expectations needs to be about. Of course it can, if you know, that is your management style, but really, you know, setting expectations can't be anything. It's like, Hey, there's this discussion on a new architecture. I would really like you to participate in that discussion and actively contribute to bring it to a conclusion within say four weeks. Can you do that? Yeah. You know, it can be as simple as that to set expectations. Um, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. Like it's, you know, there's people, people tend to think, you know, that's this, it's a very binary thing. It's like, you can only go from not saying anything and hoping for the best to, uh, you know, being very, very, very exacting and detailed about what someone should do and how they should do it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, those are some really good thoughts. I like, I like how you're thinking about those. I have a secret
0: third, third one, if you're, if you're up for it.
1: Oh, I mean, I think, I think everybody likes, it's likes <laughs> what do we got?
0: Uh, so, I mean, a lot of my coaching work and also work, you know, as, uh, in, you know, the various positions I've held was to figure out frameworks, to figure out like, you know, maybe common, a common approach or also a repeatable approach to certain problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know a specific thing that you know leaders who are, who struggle, you know with letting go of their hands work uh, hands on work is that you know the the team needs to be able to make decisions on their own without you know see yes. the leader getting involved all the time or without you know being the one to to make the ultimate call. I mean, you know there's nothing wrong with that approach, uh, but I you know I also like. Uh, a there's an element of laziness. It's like I you know, we talked about this earlier. I don't know everything that the people on my team know. They're probably the biggest experts on you know certain technical decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know the focus can then be on just creating frameworks, say for decision making. a very common thing, especially with the engineering team is you know this very simple but great tool of you know architectural decision records or RFCs, you know there are various names for this. It's a very common tool that I, you know, then work with, you know, my clients to implement because it's, you know, it's, it's really, really simple. Engineers take to this with, you know, an open heart a lot of the time. Um, and it gives leaders a, a tool, you know, to make sure that everything is documented, which, you know, is a great benefit. Uh, someone new coming to the organization, you can just point them to, here's an entire history of everything we decided along the way if yeah. you ever find yourself asking why something is done this way and then the other is just you don't have to be involved as a leader you can you know in whatever role you fan or you know your team you know also finds acceptable but i've this has been one of the greatest, simplest and most effective tools i've introduced in organizations to just remove myself and also to unblock yeah. the team who didn't really know what to do to make certain types of decisions or who they needed to go to where, you know, it's just just needed one to write it down. And then other people to say, it's a great idea, or, you know, maybe we can change this and that. Um, but let's go for it. And then you have, you you have a wonderful paper trail.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think writing down decisions is a really good point. And I think also just realizing how much you need to help your team develop their own, uh, decision-making and, Kind of thought process muscles so if you're used to being the heroic leader that has all the answers and this is one even I struggle with sometimes uh, you you have to make sure that you're getting ideas from your team and, and letting you know the people that you hire do the thing that they're supposed to be great at which which often means stepping back and being more willing to maybe if you're in a meeting facilitate it as opposed to uh, you know have the answers
0: yeah I did I do think you, you also touched on a great point it's like as you know, we, uh, you know, leaders wanting to be a part of the decision-making process or even, you know, wanting to make decisions. Uh, there's a flip side to this where, you know, there's, there's also a, a natural flow upwards, say, in a classic hierarchy where people yeah. like differing decisions upwards. Yep. And so it can be tempting to, you know, to just, to just follow that, that natural flow and say, okay, you know, someone came to me with a question um I'm I'm just gonna answer that question I'm you know I feel a flattered. I feel needed and I feel like I can tri- contribute something but you know what you're also doing is conditioning people that they can always come to you with questions whatever the questions are whether they can could were actually be capable of uh you know answering it themselves just by you know spending a little bit of time on it uh, stewing on it writing something down coming up with ideas and so on and so forth, yeah. um, where, you know, as a leader, you could, you know, you, if you, if you keep the, if you have them keep coming to you, and if you always bring the answers, they couldn't keep doing that,
1: Right. whereas you could also
0: just flip it back on them, Correct. depending on, I want to add, on the, you know, severity, say, of the problem, you know, like, if it's Absolutely. a larger organizational problem, you can't expect your, you know, people Underneath you at all times to come up with a solution, but you know, it's never hurts to ask. So what do you think we should do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always like the uh, the waterline principle where you're basically like holes above the waterline in the boat It's okay So you should really give as much independence to your team or even an individual person on your team making a call As possible for those low-risk things Mm -hmm. Uh, that also cuts down on your decision fatigue because you don't need to make that call and then things below the waterline, when there's a hole in the boat, or especially if there's a gaping hole and the whole ship taking yeah. on water, proverbially, uh, then you probably should be more involved, and there should be more care, and frankly, more other experts in the company should also be involved to patch that hole.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And you know, that's uh, as a leader, you
0: need to you know exercise judgment, and just you know, part of it is just experience on what those problems are that you can you know reflect back and mm-hmm. what the problems are that you, A, really need to take on yourself mm-hmm. um, or you need to take you know, even higher up or somewhere else in the organization.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. So thinking about leaders kind of making this transition now, uh, what are the best ways for them to start to learn all these new skills? Because this is essentially uh, uh, not only is it about the mindset of letting go, but they have to actually master some uh, new habits that are part of this letting go and, and frankly, just embracing a different set of uh, tasks that are the right things for them to focus. How are you really doing as a manager? What does your team think of you? And how can you improve? These are common questions every good manager has, but if you don't find out the answers to them, you're not going to become the best manager you can be. Instead, you risk being blindsided by surprise turnover or secret frustrations your team has about you that you never even knew about. To become a great manager means investing in yourself. You need to build the right habits, measure how you're doing, and learn new skills to keep improving. That's why we built Lighthouse Pro. It includes everything you need to be a great leader, including Our one-on-one software to help you build and keep the right habits to build great relationships with your team. Our manager score benchmarking survey that gives you anonymous feedback from your team on how you're really doing and how you can improve based on your score. And we give you access to our Lighthouse lessons program to learn new skills you can immediately apply to your team to bring out their best. Getting access to Lighthouse Pro starts by signing up for a 21-day free trial of Lighthouse. You can see today how you can have better one-on-ones and much more that makes you a better manager at getlighthouse.com now.
0: So I think the first one is patience. It might sound weird, but, you know, the, the higher up you go in an organization, the higher, you know, the more people you have that you're responsible for, the longer the feedback cycles on any changes that you do. So if you change the, you know, if you change a small thing, it might take two weeks. It might take four weeks for you to see whether it actually changed anything, uh, yeah. whether you know whatever you hypothesized would happen uh, actually did happen, and then you know you have to start tweaking again, and you know there's another two week, two to four week cycle. It can be, especially for an engineer, it can be upsettingly long, um, and I, I feel that uh as a former engineer myself um and i think the 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 other thing is you know what i call them tweaks uh whereas you know this is where an engineering mindset can actually be helpful you know rather than always go for the big solutions is to start small Yeah, to start make you know say i mentioned these decision records you know this doesn't have to be a complex or complicated process it can just be you know, here's a format, a document format. It has five fields. Uh, I'll fill those out and then we'll discuss it in the next engineering meeting. And, right. you know, if everyone thumbs it up, then that's cool. Um, and then you just, you know, you, you build that, you do that small thing, that small tweak or the first iteration, and then you see, just see how it works out. Again, you might have to wait a little bit longer. You don't get feedback within an hour or within a day. Um, But, you know, the smaller you start, the smaller your experiment, Um, you know, the the earlier you'll get feedback. If it's a really large process, then people will have, you know, might have a lot of hoops to jump through, uh, which means it takes them a while to fully understand it or to really go from, you know, beginning to end in one go. And ideally, you know, you want to have multiple people, say, go through a new process. Um uh, before you can say with some confidence, this is working or this isn't working. So keeping things small mm-hmm. is I would say is is a is a valuable skill in management. And I would say engineers in particular are you know we're this is what we do. you know we ship in yeah. small increments like yep. we 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 focus on iterative work um mm-hmm. and you know getting getting feedback as quickly as possible. And I think it, that, that skill translates well into management. and I also do think it's not done often enough to just you know think small, work in small increments uh, rather than always going for you know the big drop or dropping like a gigantic new process on the team, yeah. and then say what's, what's the you know asking yourself and also the team, what's the simplest and smallest thing we can change that could address this problem? And what are we hoping to see at the end? And then four weeks down the line, you see—is this what we've actually seen, or did something else come up? And then you know, you you work your way forward. So basically, yeah. to say,
1: okay. So patience, keeping things small, and I think you mentioned there's one more. What is that other thing that people need to make sure they do?
0: So the last one that you know many uh, of the people I work with struggle, and then frankly I've been struggling with as well, is to actually make time to learn and reflect, uh, okay. to take some time out of your week uh one hour two hours you know the more the better generally where you know you're not sitting in front of your computer where you're not responding to whatever fire is popping up on your screen or whatever Mm -hmm. you know question uh people send your way the you know side note people things are probably going to be fine like that's uh, that's, Mm -hmm. most of the time whenever something like this happens things are going to be fine without you Mm -hmm. um and just you know, maybe I pick up a notebook, uh, an actual paper one. I, I'm a big fan of paper and, uh, writing, uh, as a tool for reflection and just to go somewhere ideally, you know, where, uh, it's the harder thing to do as we're still in a pandemic, but you know, you can go outside, you can sit on a bench somewhere bring a, you know, a thermos filled with hot coffee or tea uh, or whatever beverage uh, you fancy. Um, and just, you know, think about the week, uh, ask yourself a couple of questions, um, you know, think about how a certain thing went, what conversation felt weird and why, mm-hmm. what was surprising to you that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I you know, think come, come at it from the perspective of like, what might I have contributed to this? What can yeah. I change in the future? What might be a bigger thing that's happening in the organization or in my team? That I should address, you know, say when there's an interpersonal conflict in the team, or yep. when, you know, say you, your team is making decisions, but you know they're rather fighting over who gets to make decisions. So classic examples like where, you know, the responsibilities aren't exactly clarified. Um, yep. But really, the important key thing is to make that time. Like I used to, I, uh, you know, even as a CEO, I used to spend my Fridays out of the office and went to a coffee shop and also on a long walk mm-hmm. to to just think about things because like walking is this magical thing where when you you know after when you start doing it without a specific goal in mind you know the mind at some point just starts to wander freely and then you know there's there's stuff that you can put put behind you mm-hmm. and you can just start thinking about things you can you know ask yourself questions to push the mind in the right direction yeah. Uh, it's it's very free.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I, lo- I love that. Uh, two things uh, came to mind from that. One is, uh, if you ever read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm-hmm. he has a wonderful story in it where he talks about this like Wall Street executive where every Saturday night he would review his meeting book and think about how all the meetings he had went and what he was doing right and wrong. And he said like that was the number one thing for his success because it allowed him to say, what do i need to change what didn't go well last week and where were my wins yeah and i i think that that's uh it's funny how some of those kinds of things are timeless you know you can read about uh i know it's very american-centric uh but uh ben franklin also very famously was very reflective after a quaker took him aside and told him ben everyone hates you (laughs) you you need to be a much better person if you want to succeed in life and after that ben was like okay i need to i need to take time and actually reflect on how i'm doing and I know personally, like taking that time to to step back, like it, it is interesting, like you said, when you like take a walk or something, when you actually give your mind some time to breathe from like constant stress, you know, Slack notifications and, and endless meetings and all that, when you actually give your brain a little bit of room to breathe, you have an opportunity to start to see things that you would not see if you were still in the zone. And so I love your suggestion of actually literally physically getting out of the office physically going for a walk, which means that even if you're remote, you can go do these things. And so it gets you out of the environment, even if the environment is your home office.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Um, So many leaders, I think, have kind of this fear from like letting go of their work, especially in engineering, you know, whether that be a fear of, well, this is my baby, and I don't want it to get messed up. Or it's a fear of becoming obsolete, so to speak, as an engineer, because you're not as much of a technical expert. So I'm curious, how can leaders overcome that concern that, you know, their knowledge in the latest frameworks or projects and, and tools may become dated or that, you know, things that they were super involved in in the past, uh, they, they won't be able to anymore. You know, how do you help especially engineers overcome that, that kind of fear or doubt?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one because it, it starts, maybe there's a step back to be taken, Uh, And, you know, have an honest conversation with yourself, whether you're in the right role. You know, if engineering is what you love, if, you know, technology is what you love, then maybe, you know, there's, I mean, there can be a different leadership role where you still stay connected to this. Um, But, you know, if, if you want to remain hands-on, then, you know, maybe the work is to try and find a role where you can still be that.
1: So in so many ways, it sounds like you kind of, you almost like that fear, you need to like lean into it and either accept that that is that like literally comes with the territory. Or if that's something you're not truly not comfortable with, then it sounds like maybe actually like go back to being an IC a little bit and like, like lean into lean into it either way. So you're either leaning into the fear and saying it's okay that I'm going to become obsolete or lean into the fact that you really want to stay up on it. And then it's like, actually, maybe management isn't the right calling for you.
0: I think there's a secret option number three, where, you know, you, (laughs) you, you don't focus on only, you don't only focus on what you stand to lose. Say, you know, this staying up to date on you know, technology and open source and whatever it is staying deeply involved in technology and focus on what you stand to gain, like in terms of experience and learning for yourself, because mm-hmm. management mm-hmm. is an entirely new thing. And well, there's there's a lot of new stuff to learn in that as well. And if you, you know, you can focus on that experience and uh, you know, it's, it's a new challenge in a way, you know, and it's not exactly a technical challenge. Right. But, well, it's, I would argue it's an almost even more difficult one yeah. uh, because, you know, there are people involved and, you know, things are hard when people are involved. Um, and I encourage people to focus on that rather than, you know, what they stand to lose. And I think if someone, you know, wants to get there, you know, still feel like they can still code anything, you know, just like making time to learn and reflect, they can also still make time you know, once a week or something to still dabble with code, ideally not code that is, you know, in the critical path or just picking something off the backlog and starting work on it (laughs) and then leave, you know, leaving it be for a week until, you know, the next window comes around, Mm -hmm. but you know, whatever useful tools there can be, you know, that can help them in their job, you know, just analyzing things, for example, crunching numbers uh or making things easier automating a few things there's still ways how you can do that or just you know say you want to learn a technology you just spend two hours a week just playing with it mm-hmm. i don't think there's there's anything wrong with that yeah. uh, it's just uh you know when when you're in a people management role it's you know the more time you dedicate to staying up to date with technology the less time you'll have to fulfill the role uh, well, that you're, you know, that is your responsibility. And mm-hmm. I think it, it dep- also depends a little bit on how that role is actually defined. Because like right. the engineering management role in particular is usually, it's a bucket. It's a bucket of, I would say, three things that are thrown in there. One is people management. The other is tech, uh, the role of the tech lead. The third one is project manager. And, you know, maybe even the fourth one is product manager so you those tend to be lumped together which is an incredibly stressful experience correct but of of course you know if if you have a small team and if your management style in the team allows you could still keep like a role of say engineering manager and tickly it's not Mm -hmm. something that i actively advocate but uh, you know it is certainly a possibility if that's what you want to do and it doesn't harm your team or the product the business uh, in any way Mm -hmm. so it depends a little bit on how that role is defined like if you're say if your role if your management role is specifically focused on people management you know say you know providing feedback help you know supporting people in their personal and professional growth resolving conflicts you know removing roadblocks then you know it can make sense to just carve out that window for yourself where you just play with something to to just feel like you you know you can stay up to date and then also just to that point i think you know learning technology is you know is compared to adopting you know learning management skills i I think overall you don't have to spend it doesn't take a lot of time to learn uh to relearn something or to get up to date on a specific technology i would think um you know if you end up going back into a technical track i think the The effort required, and I mean, you know, also want to be mindful that this, of course, depends on the technology involved and you know what complex setups you use. But overall, it's something that is, I would say, easier to learn uh, than management, as you know, as a big bubble of just a gigantic number of things that you can do or need to do.
1: Absolutely. So. You already talked about, you know, taking walks and, and making time to reflect. Um, what are some of the other, you know, ideal set of tools that managers have to develop uh, to replace kind of some of those individual contributor skills? You know, what kinds of habits or routines and, and, and things like that? What can what can help a leader be be more effective and, and handle this transition where they're going from, you know, writing code to or, or whatever their individual contributor responsibility was to you know really focusing on the leadership and people side of things yeah
0: i think the, the the first one i already mentioned the first one for me is to write mm-hmm. to write to write before you do anything you write it down yep. uh then you rewrite it you <laughs> review it you share it you ask for feedback you edit it again you distill it down mm-hmm. but the most important lesson for me always was you, you write it down yep you write it down for yourself you write it down for others uh, you write it down to throw away. Abe Lincoln was famous when whenever he felt frustrated, <laughs> uh, you know, to whenever he was angry with someone to just write a letter and then store it away in his drawer. Yep. And I actually recommended that to uh, a, a client of mine, or it's like, you know who was frustration that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the team isn't getting it, you know, and it's like you know be- before you say anything, before you start frantically typing in Slack, you know, take a step back, open a text editor write whatever you have to say in there and yeah. then archive it and then archive <laughs> yeah. or d- delete yeah. it right away and then yeah. you can focus on the next thing that i also want to talk about is like you can take a step back once yeah. you've moved past your frustration and whatever emotions have bubbled up in you uh and focus on the bigger picture you know you can focus mm-hmm. on thinking about what's actually the problem here you know i mentioned mm-hmm. this earlier and also what what have you know what might i have done to con- contribute to this um and you know you focus on the bigger picture when addressing the problems so you don't just you know put out a fire which right. you know as you mentioned like lots of slight notifications tends yeah. to be the default mode we're in it's like there's a yeah. slight notification something is burning we need to put it out but if mm-hmm. you keep putting it out you know it's only gonna it's it's guaranteed to come back at some point and you yeah. know as uh As someone said to me recently, it's like, if it comes up now and we're growing significantly over the next 12 months, there's a good chance that it's going to come up five to 10 times as much uh, in the near future. Yeah. And so rather than, you know, just focus on addressing the the problem, just think about, you know, what's really, what's really happening here, what's really at play, who might be involved, who do I need to go talk to, to fully understand the problem. And then, you know, you can come up with a hypothesis of what's going on and go through, you know, a tweak and feedback cycle that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And just over reducing the likelihood of this problem coming up again.
1: Uh, As we kind of head to the end of the episode here, um, we work to make every episode super actionable. So one of the things that that we like to do is tell people what is like the small, small step people can take. I think we've talked about some like nice big picture things, but what's one or two things that you think somebody listening is saying, you know, this might be me. I might be, you know, interfering too much with my team. I'm doing too much IC work. I shouldn't be as hands on as I am. What is maybe the first baby step that a manager listening to this could do to be better at kind of managing and growing their department instead of focus on IC work. What's kind of the first 80 bitty step they could literally do today after they finish listening to this?
0: You know, say you, you find yourself in a, in a situation where, you know, you observe your team, uh, you know, doing things a certain way, or yeah. you observe a discussion uh, that isn't going in the direction that you, you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're you know where you, you're you feel at a point you feel that the team is quote unquote not getting it. Yeah. um you mm-hmm. know, probably our most natural response as humans is to to start typing right away and tell <laughs> tell the other people why they're not getting it or you know mm-hmm. what what should be done. um mm-hmm. it's a very common urge and I would you know, when you find yourself in a situation like that, actually encourage people to close whatever whatever they're currently using to observe the team mm-hmm. uh to either close it or to you know if it's a video call to mute themselves um and take take a step back mm-hmm. uh and you know take a deep breath yep. always helps yeah and uh really a really start observing and then you know go a little bit through the exercises that we've mentioned it's like about what's actually happening here think a think about what's going what's happening for you you know are you feeling frustrated are you feeling you know upset uh you know that the team is not doing what you would expect them to do and then you know just take another deep breath once you've Mm -hmm. moved past that and you know write down two or three things that you observed and come up with a hypothesis of why those might might have gone the way they have. And then, you know, write down one tiny thing that you can do next to help address it. Could be, you know, you give someone, you need to give someone uh, some, maybe some brutally honest feedback, um, or there's a that you need to clarify more, or you just need to ask someone another question to understand what was happening but totally. the goal of this is you know you 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 mentioned like habits as you know uh, earlier on and habits are you know deeply ingrained responses that we have to certain situations it's mm-hmm. a very common response with clients that I work with in, to, in this situation to start frantically typing right away <laughs> and yeah, so react, you know the, react
1: instead of respond i think is a good That's concept.
0: right. Uh, and you want to shift that habit exactly from reacting to responding and the first step is to really take a pause mm-hmm. and just you know go through all of these steps take a pause and then ideally you're even a couple of minutes later you're in a you are in a more productive mindset to assess the situation without you know pointing pointing fingers attributing blame or telling people that they're not getting it whatever you know just um, voicing frustration so to speak mm-hmm. in whatever in whatever way
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. And and in a lot of our episodes, I think we've given people books to read, we've given people all these tactics and tools and things to use. And and I I love that this is different. This is this is really like treating, I think, self-awareness as a muscle and recognizing that you need to develop it as a leader a lot and learning to identify when you should make this pause is a great first step on something you can do that will then flourish and grow into a very important set of skills I think you need to have as a leader.
0: Yeah. And it's a hard one to shift, but you know, it's like you start retraining yourself a little bit to go, you know, to, as you said, go from reacting to responding. You retrain from, you know, going into typing up, you know, something right away to, you know, you flip a different switch, you go a different path where you just address the problem differently you respond to the problem and it takes it is it's it is a simple thing but i also want to admit it it does take practice and it you know might not always work as well you can't change a habit like this you know just by flipping a switch it takes it takes practice and as you said like you know just practicing uh this self-awareness as a leader and as a manager
1: absolutely well i think Uh, I always liked as a kid this cartoon called G.I. Joe where they said knowing is half the battle and I think in this case having that self-awareness as a leader to start to realize where you may be stepping in too much or where you need to pause or not press send on that message, uh, that is actually a very, very pivotal step in your journey as a leader. Uh, It's the first step in, in the journey of then making significant changes on what you do after that, but just recognizing when you need to make that pause I think is a great step. So, Uh, Matthias, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, This was an awesome conversation. And as always, if you have questions or suggestions, uh, please reply to any of our uh, episodes and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Matthias.
0: Thank you, Jason.